Hey bosses, before we get started, I want to tell you about my new dropshipping course that is completely free. I've decided to make a 100% free dropshipping course for everybody out there. Just go to dropshiplab.com, enter your email address, you'll get drip fed 12 modules in 12 days. That's over four hours of video content completely for free. Also, go to johnnyfd.com on my blog to read my post about why I decided to create a free course. Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD. Hey, everyone. This is Johnny, and welcome to episode 247 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. Today, I have on Debbie Arcangelis from the offbeatlife.com. Welcome to the show. Hey, Johnny. Thank you so much for ha- having me here. Yeah, this is fun, especially kind of during quarantine when everyone's stuck at home uh, and things to listen to. Uh, where are you in the world right now? I am currently in Florida in the United States. <laughs> okay. And how long have you been there for? So usually I'm actually based in New York City, but before everything started going crazy in New York City, we went to Florida and now we're kind of stuck here and we don't know when we're going to be going back to our house. <laughs> oh, wow. Do you think in retrospect that was a kind of a almost a blessing disguise? Because it seems like things in Florida are a little bit better than in New York. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we live in an apartment in the Bronx in New York City. And here in Florida, we have a backyard. We can actually go out and take a little breather, go for a walk, go for a run without really anyone here. So it was definitely a blessing for us to be able to come here. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, my friend Kristen Bilson from... Uh, Badass Digital Nomads, she's in Florida, and she has uh, access to, to a lake right behind her house, so she bought stand-up paddle boards, and every day she's just been on the water hanging out, so it seems like she's having a great time. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. We also have a lake in our backyard, too, but we don't have a paddle board, so she's awesome with that. <laughs> you know what? I think uh, e-commerce-wise, whoever's selling stand-up paddle boards is crushing it right now, and just in general, like... People are buying so many things online when it comes to either backyard stuff or home like home fitness. It's crazy that retail stores are getting destroyed, but online e-commerce stores are having some of their best months ever. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty crazy how before being a digital nomad or even a remote worker was seen as something unstable. Now, if you have it, it's like, oh, my goodness, <laughs> you're lucky that you actually know what you're doing. Yeah, that makes sense, right? Because, I mean... Like, did, did your friends or family judge you or were they worried when you wanted to start, you know, working remotely? Because I know, or, you know, or being an entrepreneur, because as, you know, a child of Asian parents, my parents freaked out when I decided I wanted to move and start my own business. They wanted me to have a stable nine to five job thinking that was secure, even though now we see really, you know, it's the opposite. I think my parents stopped being surprised when I really left college and never really had a nine to five. I've always either owned a business or worked somewhere where I freelance. So I think they really expected that from me. It was definitely a pushback in the beginning, but they've gotten so used to it that now it's just the norm. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Well, so could we get a little bit about your background? You were actually born in the Philippines, was it? 
Yeah, I was born in the Philippines, and then I came to the United States when I was about eight years old. And do you still have a like a very vivid memory of what it was like growing up in the Philippines? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, part of my childhood was there, so it was completely different from being in the United States, especially being in New York City. And seeing all of the tall buildings, everything was so much cleaner. The food was so different. So it was a completely different cultural, um, you know, awakening for me. And so I'm assuming you you didn't grow up in Manila then because that's also a huge city. No, I actually grew up in a tiny little place. Well, not so so tiny, but a lot tinier than Manila. It's in Ross City. A lot of people have probably never heard of it. But if you have heard of Boracay, which is a huge destination for a lot of uh, tourists, it's about maybe an, a few hours away from there. Okay. And is it an island or like a beachside town at all? There is there are beaches. I mean, in the Philippines, it's easy to come across beaches. So it is in a, an island, and there are beaches that are around it for sure. It, it sounds like such idyllic way to, to grow up. And I grew up in San Francisco, and to be honest, it sucked. My, my childhood was you know big you know big buildings, homeless people, and public transport. I wish I grew up you know somewhere where I can just roam around in nature or you know just have less of that busyness. It definitely had its, you know, pros and cons. Obviously, it was great that we were always in beautiful weather. There were beaches, but obviously, there's a lot of poverty as well. So, you know, there's good and bad with that. Mm, makes sense. Have you have you traveled back to the Philippines a lot uh, as an adult? I've traveled several times. I think the last time I was there was around maybe four or five years ago, and it was really the first time that I explored the country because most of the time when I would go back to the Philippines, it was just me visiting family. And this time, I had brought my fiance with me, and we were able to explore outside of where I grew up. So that was a pretty cool thing to do. Yeah, I could definitely ma- imagine that. And like, so like, tell me about like the first time that you really started traveling on your own. W- was it that trip, or like, did you go somewhere else before that? Yeah, so I pretty much started traveling when I was around 16 years old. My parents were asking me, okay, what should we do for your Sweet 16? And instead of doing the big Sweet 16 party, I told them I don't really want to do that. I'd rather travel somewhere. So at that time, my school was having this trip to to Paris, France, and I ended up going there as a birthday gift for my parents, which ended up costing a lot less and it was for about two weeks that I was in the country than to just have that one night. So I decided to do that. And from then on, I worked two to three jobs and just started saving and really started traveling on my own from then on. Yeah, that's really smart. I remember growing up in California, I knew at least 20 girls with like Louis Vuitton bags or, you know, some kind of French um, luxury handbag and plenty of them, you know, who would have, you know, these extravagant birthday parties, whether it was 16 or 18 or 21. But so few of them had ever even been to Europe, and for the same amount of money that you would have, you know, that you would spend on a luxury handbag, you can literally go for two weeks, as you mentioned, right? Yeah, absolutely. And also the fact that my parents really didn't have that money to spend, and I knew that they were willing to do that because it was a big birthday. And I told them, well, I don't want to just enjoy one night. I want to enjoy two weeks. And you know, a few of my friends were also going, so. 
it really took a lot of convincing on my end to them, but it was really worth it for me to be able to do that because that really kicked off and really changed how I started behaving and also started really living my life from that point on. I think that's actually almost like a blessing in disguise, having this mindset of appreciation because I, this actually reminds me of a story of a Filipino girl I know that I met in Chiang Mai named March, uh, Mary March. And she, you know, when she met her boyfriend, uh, this guy named, actually her husband now, Mark Brenwall, and they, you know, wanted to travel together. And he was saying, oh, yeah, let's just go to Thailand. Let's go here. Let's go here. It's really cheap. And in his mind, cheap was, you know, $1,000 a month. And for her, you know, growing up in the Philippines, you know, making $2 an hour and, and, you know, at her office job, she was saying, like, I no, I have to save for a lot of time. Like, I can't just go here and spend $1,000. And it wasn't until, you know, and actually it was her and actually an, another person I had on the podcast, uh, also for the Philippines, like same situation where instead of just moving around, you know, for two weeks to go somewhere, just to go there, she would really think about it, save for it. And then now both of them have their own online business. They're both working remotely and earning a U.S. wage. So they're able to technically, you know, travel as much as they want, but they still have that appreciation, that mentality built in thinking, you know, if I'm going to go somewhere, I really want to enjoy it. I don't want to just, you know, wastefully go there for, you know, a few days or a week to party and, you know, spend as much as I can. I want to, I, I want this to be something special. Yeah, I mean, it's different for, for everybody, you know. I think also once you get older, the way you travel is also different. You know, when you're younger, you do want to have a lot more of a good time. You know, you drink, you go out, you party. And then once you get older, I think at least for me, it's more about appreciating the culture and really taking your time. And I know when you're younger, it's like checking off bucket lists and just adding on the countries. But then as you get older, you're like, all right, I need to take this slower. I need to really appreciate this. I don't really care how many countries I go to as long as I actually get to know the area and the place. Yeah, that makes sense. And I actually just looked it up. The, the other Filipino girl was named Anna Fustino. I don't know how to say it, but she was on episode 190 of this podcast as well. And it was her and her uh, boyfriend, Tom Rogers, who uh, were talking about, you know, let's just let's take it slow and actually start earning uh, money while we travel instead of, you know, going and partying and, you know, <laughs> kind of what you mentioned. Uh, let's skip that phase. Uh, I do you, do you think that you learned a lot of like like life lessons? Did you look at the world differently after you started traveling? Absolutely. I definitely realized that there was something more. I mean, the first time I traveled was not for leisure. It was because I had to immigrate to another country and it was so that my family and I could have a better life. So for a lot of immigrants, traveling the first time is not about leisure and about enjoying yourself. It's about leaving behind a lot of the people that you love, the place that you love, the place that you grew up in to come to something else, something better hopefully for yourself and for your family so I mean that alone my first time traveling that's what I learned and then to be able to do a different type of travel that you know privileged people like us now are able to do is really incredible because 
it's it's amazing. You know, you don't have to worry about anything. You're not scared as much, <laughs> and you're not really leaving it. And you know, you can easily go back when you want to, and then hopefully you have the income and the source of income to be able to do that continuously if you have to. So, it definitely gave me a different perspective in that sense because it really allowed me to appreciate it so much more. You know, that's actually a really good point. I, I I think this is something that we don't really think about, and a lot of us digital nomads and full time travelers take for granted. Maybe now that we're locked down and we can't travel, we realize it's it really is a privilege. It's not a a right. It's not something to just you know casually you know just do and just assume it's always going to be something that's part of our life. Because you're right, my my parents also uh, immigrated. They immigrated from Taiwan, which is ironically right next to the Philippines. And the first time they went, it was them with everything they owned,、uh, including you know these heavy blankets because they knew they wouldn't be able to afford you know, bedding when they got to the U.S. You know, with my、uh, my sister who was two two years old at the time, and it was a it was a difficult journey. I mean, not as difficult as people who would have to immigrate through by boat for three months, you know, to a new country, but still, it was a hard journey. And now we hop on these overnight flights. You know, just to go somewhere because you know we got a good deal, or you know we feel like it, and it's it really is something that when we think, you know, and, and we sit down and reflect on, it really is a privilege. Yeah, absolutely, and it gives you that sort of mentality that even you know, like you mentioned right now, it can be taken away really easily, and you don't know what's going to happen. So it, there's a different sense of appreciation to it. Yeah, and so. Uh, I, I'm curious. Like, what are some things that you really appreciate about traveling, or the experiences that that you gain from it? I mean, a few things are really what I learned from different cultures. You know, even the taste, all the food that you get to eat, the people that you meet. I think for me, that's really what makes a travel experience. Above and beyond something else, you know, is really the atmosphere, the people there, and what you experience from it.、Um, and that's really what makes for me a really great experience when you are out there and you are traveling. And, and what are some of your favorite places that you've been?、Um, I really love hiking and I love nature, so Iceland would be one of them. And obviously, the Philippines—it's awesome. We have some of the best beaches in the world, and I also love Sardinia. The food there was incredible. The people were great.、Uh, I feel some sort of a connection in every place that I go to. So I don't usually have favorite spots,、um, but and. Honestly, right now I don't even like to take off places. If I really connect with a certain area, I go back again to experience it with maybe someone else, or maybe in a different area of it to see what else is there. That's actually really smart. I think there's too many people who are chasing the magic, you know, 50 countries or 100 countries visited list. So they just go, you know, check it off the box and say, okay, well, I can't go back there because I've been there before, or it's time to see this other country, even though. You know, maybe there's a place that they really love that they could have seen more. Like, how did you, how did, how did you kind of come up with this philosophy? I think, like I mentioned, as I got older, it just became really annoying to keep going to new spots, and then you form bonds with people that you go to, 
and you want to go back and meet them. You know, you form friendships and you want to keep those friendships because you have such a great time. And they also show you so many different places that you normally would not have seen if you had just gone there on your own. So really, that's what motivates me. And honestly, a lot of people usually when I go on podcasts and travel podcasts or, you know, people know what I do and they're just like, oh, how many countries have you been to? Honestly, to tell you the truth, I don't even know. (laughs) I've stopped counting. I don't know. Honestly, at this point, I don't care. I just remember experiences, the people, the food, all of those things I remember, but I don't remember how many I've gone to. (laughs) Yeah, that's actually really smart. And I, I, I feel the exact same way where, you know, for I think the first time I sat down and I started, you know, running it out, it actually kind of messed me up because that next year I was like, all right, well, let me try to, you know, like check off a few more. And I realized first it's exhausting, you know, just moving around so often, you know, even though you're technically close by another country, just to pop in and out is, you know, really uproot your routine. And it's it's a huge, you know, headache and process versus I could have just stayed where I was and got to know the place even more. You know, and that's why this year I went back to Sri Lanka again for the second year in a row. And even though I'm only a 15 minute drive from where I was last year, I'm really getting to know the culture and the beaches and the people at a whole new level that I wouldn't have if, you know, if I had just came through once and, and never returned. And I also feel like when you do return to a place, you're much more relaxed because you don't feel like, oh, I have to fit everything in and I have to do this and that. And I think I love that type of travel more, you know, when it's more lazy, when you get to really explore the place when you're not in a rush, I think is what I prefer personally when I do travel. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And you mentioned earlier that you like to go hiking and and trekking. Have you done any kind of longer treks? Oh, yeah, I usually do longer treks. So I usually do probably three to five, seven day treks um, at a time when I do do that. And it's so much fun. I know a lot of people don't understand it. They're like hiking. You mean just like walking for a long period of time? Um, But I always say it's different when you actually have the scenery to back it up. You know, you would never, ever be able to see those incredible places if you had just gone on a train ride, a car ride. It's definitely not the same. Yeah. And it's something really fulfilling about, you know, walking to a destination over you know, X number of days, you know, a a day hike is fun. And that feeling that we get when we get to the top or the end of it, you know, it's a great feeling, but it's really multiplied if it's a three day or five day, you know, or, or longer hike. And also it really makes you challenge yourself. And I think that's one of the best things that I find when I do those longer treks is because, especially in the beginning or in the middle of it, you feel like giving up and you're like, oh my God, what on earth did I do to myself? But once you end it, and also the people that you meet along the way have the most interesting stories that you will ever hear. And you have these connections with these people because you're going through all these treacherous treks. And sometimes you get into certain spots where you're like, oh my gosh, am I going to die? I don't know what's going to happen. So it's, it's that challenge that definitely gets me. And also, again, the people that you're meeting, who you're bonding with, because you're experiencing something that not too many people will go through. Yeah, I can definitely see that. What was your first kind of multi-day hike? I believe my first multi-day hike was in the Southwest. I was in um, 
I believe I was in New Mexico and we decided to do BC Badlands and we were out for about three days and we just camped and just started walking everywhere. It was really crazy. It looked like we were in Mars. So it was a pretty interesting <laughs> time. Yeah. And so being kind of based in the U.S. most of the year, would you ever consider doing one of those really insane tracks like the PCH, the Pacific Coast Trail or the Appalachian Trail? I don't want to walk just to walk. Um, that's the thing. It's not, you know, I'm not that type of person. A lot of people have that on their bucket list of doing that. For me, it's about the scenery um, and not just, you know, oh, I need to have a certain amount of miles in, on, under my belt. So it, I have the same philosophy with that as I have with, you know, counting uh, the country. So I don't really care. I just want to go somewhere that has beautiful scenery and something that I can take a look at. Because, again, it's not just about walking and hiking. It's about me seeing something that I can't normally see if I just drive somewhere. Um, and obviously challenging myself, but not to the point where I'm just doing it to to walk. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, sometimes I will daydream, you know, and watch a couple of those videos and think about what it would be like. But ultimately, it, it's really for the challenge and not for the scenery, as you said, or not for <laughs> the enjoyment. It's really for the challenge of, of completing it. And, you know, for me, that's not that's not something that's high on my bucket list. So, as far as scenery, like what what were some of your favorite places that you trekked? I really love Iceland. We did a four or five day trek there um, a few years ago, and um, New Mexico, BC Badlands was incredible. And then I've also done the W track in uh, Chile, which was incredible. So those are probably my three best ones. And there's some incredible hikes in California. I did some in Ireland and England. So, um, And I usually try to go once a year. I used to at least a few years ago and just do these mini hikes by myself. And I travel to little islands in Europe um, and do those little hikes myself. And then the longer ones I do with my fiancé. So it's really fun. I think it's a lot of fun. And you get to see some really beautiful scenery. Yeah, that's really cool. And, and that's actually something I do with my buddy Sam once a year, too. Uh, my favorite kind of long hike was also was in Ireland. Uh, it was the Wicklow Way. It, it, did you happen to do that one? Uh, um, Where was that one? Was it on the West Coast? No, uh, but I heard the West Coast is really beautiful. The Wicklow yeah. Way started from Dublin, which was super convenient because we just flew into Dublin. And it was the reason why I really liked it was you basically started in the city center and you started walking. And every night you'd be in a small village somewhere in the mountains or in the forest. And you stay at like a small pub. Um, you would, you know, have a Guinness. You would have some some food at that, you know, the one restaurant in the entire village. And you would keep walking for about seven days, and you would pop out in the south. Yeah, that's awesome. We we did our hike on the west coast, and that's really pretty much exactly what we did. It's just incredible. Ireland is a beautiful country. Yeah, I think it's really underrated. I, I mean, I know a lot of. You know, people go to Ireland, but I think most people go there just to party and drink. And it is really fun to go out. It's, you know, it's, it's probably the best. My favorite bars in the world are in Ireland. Like, it's the only bars you can go to, com- you know, completely alone, not knowing anybody. And you'll end up with so many great friends, even if you don't try to. Like, you can literally just stand around and people are friendly. They'll come talk to you. It's very different than the U.S. where, 
you know, you really have to go out of your way sometimes to meet people. Yeah, and also the bars there are really awesome. Like they're beautiful too. So <laughs> it's it's and they have Guinness. Guinness is really good. So <laughs> that's another plus. <laughs> Yeah, and do you think the Guinness tastes different in Ireland? Because I, I thought it, taste, it tasted a million times better than any Guinness I've had elsewhere. So, honestly, to tell you the truth, I am not a big drinker, but w- neither is my fiancé. So when we went there, we were like, okay, we ha- have to try the Guinness here because we're in Ireland. We have to do it. And to tell you the truth, I actually liked it. And usually I'm not a beer drinker, and it was delicious. <laughs> yeah, it tastes like a milkshake there. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, and it was perfect. Like after a long hike, you know, at you know five p.m. when I would arrive to the village, my my buddy Sam would always be a bit faster, and he would always order a Guinness for me because they take about ten or twenty minutes to settle and really become you know perfect. And I knew that you know the, that last mile, you know, I would have a a perfectly cold set Guinness waiting for me. So it would it would be like my reward of getting through that that day's hike. <laughs> that sounds like a great reward at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, it's really nice. And uh, have you done any like trekking around the Philippines at all? No, I haven't. I do want to do that the next time I go there, though, because there are a lot of beautiful spots. I mean, the last time we were there, we did a four or five day um, boat exploration around little islands in Palawan. So that was what we did. But the next time I definitely want to do some treks. I didn't do a, a long trek, but I did a couple of day hikes in the north of the Philippines. I think it was Banawe or somewhere near there. It was uh, some rice, some rice patties, and it was really beautiful. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of gorgeous spots. I mean, the Philippines is not a big country, but there's so many amazing places that you can visit. Yeah, it, it really is one of the most beautiful places uh, in the world to visit, and it. It is a bit of a shame that it's not as touristed as, you know, Bali or Thailand. Um, you know, there are pros and cons of each place. But, you know, just beauty-wise and, and nature-wise, Philippines has a lot of amazing places. I mean, in a way, I'm kind of glad it's not. Uh, it still is keeping to itself, which is kind of good. <laughs> because you don't want it to be overly touristic as well. So there's pros and cons to that. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. Uh, so with all this travel, like, how do you actually pay for this? What, what, what do you do for work? Yeah, so for a really long time, I did a lot of uh, different freelance work. So I was a photojournalist, and I traveled for work for that. And um, so I was photographing for a lot of NGOs. And then I was an art teacher, and that's how I paid for my travels. I was a... Um, Uh, gallery manager for a while and then I was also a therapist for children so that paid a lot of my way for a really long time but about a year and a half ago I decided to leave my full-time nine-to-five job to become a content creator specifically a podcaster full-time and this is really how I've been able to create my income is to do my show have my website up and really helping people live digital as digital nomads and work remotely 
and also showing people how they can also create sustainable income as content creators and as a podcaster as well. So that's really what I've been doing and my business is all about that and helping people making this lifestyle more sustainable. Okay, I, I like it. And, and let's let's break down each of those sections because I think there's a lot to unpack. The first part was as a full photojournalist, I think a lot of people dream about traveling and taking photos and actually getting paid for it. But most of our photos, you know, never end up, you know, really anywhere and yet alone getting paid for it. How, how did you actually kind of score that gig or how would someone get started with that? As a photojournalist, it's really a hard life to be in. There's not that much money in it and you're really living paycheck to paycheck because you're either working for magazines or newspapers or you're selling it on your website, things like that. So it's not as sustainable unless you get really good at it. And a lot of my income was from the companies that I was working for. And I also did a lot of gallery showings in New York City. And then I worked with um, the UN until I finally stopped. So that was like my last show was with the United Nations. Um, So really, it was just about hustling and getting your work out there. And it's not easy. I mean, right now, I also get paid to take photographs and to travel. Um, And it's never easy, right? None of this stuff is easy, but you just have to keep pitching, keep hustling, and you just have to continuously create good work in order to be able to make this happen. And when they hire you, are they telling you, asking you, you know, for specific shots saying like, we really want pictures of, you you know, people working in a village or XYZ? Yeah, absolutely. So they have their guidelines of what they want you to take photographs of. And then you have creative um, freedom in order to do what you want with with those types of shots. So as long as you hit the goals of what they want, you can you can create it as, you know, however you want it to be. Okay. And I I guess this makes sense because a lot of NGOs, they have, you know, they have a budget, they have donations, and they need, you know, photos to really illustrate their cause. But like, what what are some, like, do you have like an example of one of the gigs that you did? And like, you know, where you traveled, what photos you had to take, things like that? Yeah, so a lot of the places that I've traveled to were Central America, the Middle East, um, Asia, and I photographed the people who they needed to maybe give donations to. I photographed a lot of families and children, um, and that's really what my specialty was. And I photographed a lot of um, natives uh, in, in the area. So that was really interesting for me. And actually, when or even before I started my podcast, one of the things that I really loved about photojournalism was when I was talking to the people and what drew me to podcasting was because I was able to do the same thing was really get people's stories and share it aside from just a photograph. Yeah, that makes sense. You can dive in a lot deeper. So speaking of podcasts, how do you actually monetize or make money from your podcast? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of different ways that you can monetize your podcast. So you can do Patreon, meaning you could ask your listeners to uh, give you money in order for you to keep going. 
launching another one is merchandise you can put your logo on t-shirts anything that you can put your logo in um, another one is coaching another one is um, digital products and of course there's brand sponsorships so most of my income comes from brand sponsorships and digital products and those are my two main ways of creating income and making this lifestyle more sustainable I like it. And did you have to get to a certain, you know, uh, like download count before these brands would even consider you? Like, what is that magic number? Yeah, I don't really believe there's a magic number. I mean, I didn't think because everybody that I spoke to, especially in like Facebook groups or even people that I met face to face, were told to have like a pretty lot of loans before I even worked brands but surprisingly or not even surprisingly about six months after I started my show two brands simultaneously reached out to me and they wanted there it all began because I was like oh my goodness okay I'm just a newbie but people are already asking me how they could actually give me money to do this after that I just started pitching and it snowballed from there and then I started to get more uh, collaborations with brands and that's really how I was able to make this more sustainable and what were, who are those first two sponsors that you had language class um, and another one was like an insurance company so one of the things that I always tell people who want to monetize their podcast is make sure that the brands that you work with are really going to align with what your audience wants and your niche in order for you to be able to do this continuously right because it has to be a win-win for everybody yeah that makes sense so now when you kind of reach out uh, are, are you doing this manually? Do you outsource it? Like, how, how, What's that process look like? Yeah, so right now I don't do as much pitching because I got, you know, brands coming to me here and there already and I would just give them um, my pricing sheet. But usually when I do reach out to brands, my assistants, I have several people who are working with me and they usually find the right brands to be able to work with and they get the emails and I do the pitching myself because um, I love pitching. I love negotiating. So that's kind of my forte and what I really love to do. Oh, I love that. So like, what is kind of a, what does that process look like? Let's say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a you know, travel insurance company. You know, you email me saying, hey, I have this podcast, The Offbeat Life. And I, and I say, okay, yeah, like what are your rates? Like how do you even determine that? Yeah, so for a lot of people who haven't really started pitching yet, and one of the biggest questions that I always got from um, newbie podcasters is, how do I even price myself? Well, one of the ways that you can do it is you can either ask someone who has a similar, maybe, you know, you started around the same time, or maybe you have the same downloads and see how much they've done it, or ask other podcasters. But one sure way that you can do this is just feel what's right. I don't go by the industry standard. If you do, then you're not going to make any money at all. So when I started out, I didn't go by the industry standard. I really just put out what I felt comfortable with, especially with all the hours that you're going to be working on it. So I always say that if you get 
three yeses, then that means that you are, you know, that's the right price. If you get three no's, <laughs> it means that you need to lower it. If you get more than three yeses, it means that you need to higher your price. So that's really how I've been, you know, measuring how much um, I'm, I'm pricing myself. And really, the industry is going to tell you uh, whether you're doing it the right way or not. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. So for your podcast, like who is your 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 audience do you ha- do you kind of have an idea of you know are they in the US you know are they male are they female like h- how do you like and is that something that you that you share with the potential sponsors when you contact them yeah absolutely so one of the things that you really have to do is understand who's listening to your show so that when you start negotiating and pitching they know who the people that you are going to be driving towards their brand. And you can find this out from like analytics. If you have your podcast hosting, they'll show that most of my listeners are in the United States, which is great because a lot of our brands are in the U.S. and they want to target the United States. Um, And so really that's how you play it, right? Because if you don't know who your audience is, then why would these brands want to work with you? They don't know who you're going to be sending this information to. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. And I think a lot of podcasters, you know, myself included, we kind of are a little bit too passive where if a brand reaches out to us, we'll take the sponsorship. But then, you know, for, you know, weeks and weeks, we'll have nobody lined up. And do you think that's really just us you know, not valuing the uh, our you know uh, what, what we have to offer because it looks like you've you've spawn- you've uh, worked with some really big brands like Johnson Johnson, you know the Self- Save the Children Foundation, you know, and it's like, did you reach out to these guys or, or did they come find you somehow? No, Johnson and Johnson actually reached out to me. Um, so I I do get brands that come to me, so that's why I don't usually. Uh, do a lot or as much pitching but I do have to say I still do pitch um, and it does help and it really fine tunes your skills when in terms of negotiating and honestly for podcasters what you have to do in order to get it is to just go for it if brands aren't coming to you then you have to go to them especially right now during this pandemic a lot of those companies are not thinking about that right now but they may still have money for certain types of marketing you just have to figure out what it is that they need right now and see how you can maybe work that into the ads and the sponsorships and collaborations that you're going to be doing with them okay yeah that's great like that and like just to have a kind of an example of you know how to start reaching out uh how many like downloads did you have when you got your first sponsor and how many downloads per episode do you have now for your your podcast yeah it it was really crazy because when i first started i didn't even have like two thousand a month and now i get you know over five figures um a month and it's you know, it's it's either way you're you need to pitch. That's the thing. It doesn't matter how much your downloads are a month. If you're not pitching, you're not going to get anything. So I was teaching a course um, about three weeks ago and this one girl just started her podcast about. I don't know, maybe a few months ago. And she was really afraid to start pitching. And I told her, listen, this is what you need to do. You just need to start going after those brands that really align with what you're doing. And this is 
during the pandemic, right? When you think no one is going to be out there giving you any money. So within two days of her doing the strategies that I told her to do, she was able to get her first sponsorship ever. So I'm telling you, if you just pitch and you pitch to the right brand, and if you know what you're you know, doing and how you're wording this, <laughs> you're going to get those sponsorships. You know, maybe it's not going to be as quick as two days as she did it, but it's going to happen. And you just have to keep thinking about this like a job interview, right? If you keep fine tuning your skills and how you're pitching and how you're negotiating, you're going to keep getting better and better and your rates are going to get higher and higher uh, because it's, you know, you know what your quality of content is and what you should be, uh, you know, asking for. I love it. That's really good info. So your your website and your podcast is called theoffbeatlife.com. What, like, to you does the offbeat life mean? Yeah, absolutely. So the offbeat life means to me is that living a life of freedom and living a life that you truly want to live. Most of us who are still in our nine to five feel like you're in a prison and you want to get out, right? Now having an offbeat life means that you're finally free of that. Even if you are in your nine to five, but you still love it, you do have that freedom to really live it out the way you design it and not somebody else's uh, way of doing it. So that's what the offbeat life means to me. I like it. And I'm sure it's different for everyone, but I I am curious, like, what 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 is your ideal kind of offbeat life? Well, I'm living it right now. Uh, I really started my podcast so that I can get to this point. And I was fortunate enough to be able to get to a point where I do have the freedom to be able to work from anywhere, to do a business that I really love to do and create money from the things that I really want to do. And I wake up every day doing everything that I want. So it's, it's a pretty great life. It's not easy. Don't get me wrong, but at least it's something that I am doing for myself and that I wanted for myself. I like that. So a lot of the listeners of my podcast also you know, are in the U.S. and have a nine-to-five job, but they're dreaming of becoming a digital nomad or creating some kind of offbeat life for themselves. Like, What, what kind of advice would you, would you give them if they're in that situation? I would say think about what you really want to do and take your first step. I mean, I'm... I never want to tell people how they should live their life. I think whatever feels right to you at the moment. um, And that's really about figuring your life out. Sometimes traveling for, you know, for a really long time is really what you need. Maybe you're trying to seek something and that's really what's right for you. So there's definitely nothing wrong with that at all. And yeah, go for it. Go for it. As long as you want, as long as it makes you happy, as long as you're not trying to escape something, you know, because that never works, believe me. Um, But for me personally, I've done that. I've done both. Um, When I was in my 20s, I definitely traveled a lot. Specifically, when I was a photojournalist, I traveled a lot, you know, during the year. And it takes a toll on your body and um, it gets tiring after a while. So now I do have a base. I'm usually in New York City because my fiance has a job there. 
Um, and then I do travel for work as well. So actually right now, having a home base has been really healthy for me with my mental health because most of the time now, you know, it's not the same when travel is work. Um, and, you know, there's a difference between the two. So I do really appreciate having a home base, just having the same bed to sleep in every night and knowing <laughs> what's happening, you know, that day and just having a routine. And surprisingly, this pandemic is kind of a blessing in disguise for me in a way because I'm able to really just relax and take my time and really enjoy where I am rather than like traveling, you know, two weeks out of the month and being exhausted for the other half of that because I gearing for another trip for another work trip. So yeah, whatever works for you, you should do. I love that. And it's great advice. Debbie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I think people are going to learn a lot from this. If people want to get in touch with you or kind of find out more, how can they reach you? Absolutely. So you can definitely find me at theoffbeatlife.com where you can get all of the resources that I have if you want to find remote work. I know a lot of you are doing that right now. We also have our weekly remote gigs that we send out via email. So you can find that out there as well. You can also find me on Instagram at theoffbeatlife and on TikTok, theoffbeatlife. And for those of you who want to start your podcast, I have a little freebie for all of you who are listening to this. You can go to theoffbeatlife.com slash travel like a boss and you get my awesome freebie there. Awesome. Debbie, thanks so much for coming on. And all of you guys, I hope you are well wherever you are in the world. Uh, See you guys all next week. Bye-bye. All right. I hope everyone really enjoyed that episode with Debbie. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening and subscribing to the podcast, sharing it with your friends, and also for taking the time to leave these amazing five-star reviews in the iTunes store. It really helps boost this podcast for other people to find it when they're searching things like travel or digital nomad or location independence. This week, I want to thank Clarice Gomez, who wrote awesome podcast five stars johnny host of the travel like a boss podcast highlights all aspects of digital nomad e-commerce and more in this can't miss podcast the host and expert guests offer insightful advice and information that is helpful to anyone that listens thank you so much clarice and thank you all for taking the time to go to itunes or whatever podcast app you listen to and reviewing the travel like a boss podcast you can also screenshot this podcast share it with friends tell them to listen and this really encourages more people to find it and for me to do more episodes so thanks so much and i'll see all of you next week if you haven't already please sign up for the dropshipping course it is 100 percent free just go to dropshiplab.com and to email address if you have trouble uh, with that opt-in form, just go to johnnyfd.com, look for my free job streaming course article on there, and there's an opt-in there as well. And thanks so much. See you guys all in the next podcast. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.